justice and forgiveness. You know, if you talk about this in our society today, you might think that justice and forgiveness are at odds. And if you watch the news, you might see that from time to time, that people are arguing that they can't coexist. Like, does forgiveness weak on justice? Can we really have justice if we're forgiving people? Is it even work in today's society? And you will hear people argue that forgiveness is outdated and that it doesn't do any good and we need to do away with that concept. But we are called to forgive as Christians. But how do they coexist? That's the question that we need to wrestle with. How do the two coexist? But before we get into that, we should really talk about what justice is, right? If we're going to talk about justice, what does that exactly mean? And, you know, back when I was a kid, you'd have to, like, hunt on the shelf and find the dictionary and pull it out, you know, and then try and figure out how to spell a word and and find it in there. Does anybody remember that? Yeah? Now you just type out something vaguely close to what you're looking for, and it pops up with a definition. So, from still from Merriam-Webster, though, but from the website, justice, the maintenance or administration of what is just. Now, we're just going to pause there. And I always thought you weren't supposed to, you know, define a word with the word itself. So we're going to have to dig a little bit deeper. If we're maintaining what is just, what is just? Just is the act of being in conformity with what is morally upright or good. So, justice is keeping what's morally upright and good conformed, right? It's the administration of society to keep it just, to keep it morally upright. But then that sort of begs the question, what is morally upright and good? I mean, obviously, the dictionary is not going to define that for us, but we have to wrestle with that question. Where does that sense of what's upright and good come from? And if you ask different people, they'll give you different answers about what's morally upright and good. Sometimes even amongst ourselves, we discuss what's good and what's not good, right? Well, back before Christian, we're going to take a little uh, romp through history to reveal a little bit here. Back in ancient cultures, there was something called an honor and a shame culture. And DJ has talked about this before, and being as he has a sociology degree, he's much more, uh, yeah, he's much more uh, uh, adept at talking about this. But honor and shame was sort of how you found value in your society back then. You wanted to have honor, and you wanted to avoid shame. And what did that look like? Well, it looked different in different cultures. And if you talk about it today, it might be different than what it was back then. But imagine yourself sort of being a a warrior back in ancient times, and you wanted to have honor. What did that mean for you? Well, it meant being sort of powerful, right? And that nobody could could do anything to you, that, that you were immune from other problems, that you were strong and virile, and everybody wanted to be you, right? That was... That was to be that way. And you wanted to be strong without weakness. Like, and if you were dominating. I sort of think of, uh, uh, what is it, Gaston from uh, Beauty and the Beast? Beast. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. You know, someone that everybody sort of looked up to. Now, if you were that person, what happened when someone wronged you? How would you make things just again? How would you establish justice? Well, you would probably, you know, do something to them to get back at them. 
sort of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you've heard that, right? Well, that guy wronged me, so I will wrong him in return. Uh, if you've watched the, um, the Godfather movies, you know, they killed one person, they killed another person back in return. Although it quickly becomes, well, they did it first, so we're going to do it double back so that they know who's stronger and so that we won't do it, right? And it becomes vengeance. Now, I love, this is a, a confession here, I love action movies. I love good action movies, I love bad action movies. I love action movies, and I think I know why I love action movies, because I can tell you the plot to about 90% of them, right? <laughs> it's, the action just varies, but the plot is this, right? There's a good guy, uh, something happens, he's wronged, and so the good guy goes on a quest to find the bad guy and fix what he's wronged about, right? And to get vengeance. And that's pretty much all of the B action movies. And it just varies a little bit with whether they're, uh, whether they're doing kung fu or not, I suppose. But it becomes about, this whole society becomes about me, right? So your honor revolves around you, about my standing, about how people see me. And all these action movies, too, look what happened to me, and I need to get vengeance on, and I need to recuperate what happened to me. And all of these things might just be, you know, it's not just yourself, but it could be your family or your community or your nation, right? It's about us. It's about me. It's very inwardly focused. But we as Christians are supposed to live by a different ethic. The Bible teaches a different way to think about this. From Leviticus 19, Jesus used to love to teach about Leviticus. And these two verses sort of get at what I'm trying to tell you this morning. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Where's the fun in that? That would be a pretty bad action movie, right? You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your, your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, anytime you see I am the Lord in the Old Testament, that's a good rule of thumb that this is important, right? It's like an old-fashioned highlighting. Like if you come across something and it's already pre-highlighted, that's what's going on here. I am the Lord. This is important. We are called to love our neighbor and not to hate them. Not to take vengeance, not to bear a grudge. This would have been sort of upside down thinking in the world at the time. This would have been a new idea, like, what? You're supposed to love your neighbor? How will that gain me honor? Psalm 41.1 says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. Now, this is pushing it even further. I have to love my neighbor, but I'm also supposed to care for the poor? How does that bring me honor? Psalm 82 says, give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Do you see the biblical ethic is different from something internally focused? It's not just about me and my honor, but it's about my neighbor and those that are weak and those that can't care for themselves. Our sense of justice that we understand from the biblical text and from God is to love your neighbor, is to care for those who can't care for themselves, to protect the weak and the needy, and to think about others before ourselves. 
Now, why is that? Why is that so radical? And why is it still so radical today? Because God said that each and every one of us is created in His image. Each and every one of us is important to Him. And we should be caring for every one of us. They should be important to us as well. That wasn't the truth before. The truth was just about me and it didn't matter about other people. But God calls us to love our neighbor because we're all created in his image. So when we talk about just, when we read this, acting or being in conformity with what is morally upright and good, it means something different for us because it's anchored in the truth of scripture and it's anchored in our God. And that comes from our God. And that's a constant. But not all people would argue that today. They would say that you're not standing on the moral high ground with that. I mean, look at your history. So this is a hard truth that we have to look at. You know, in the Christian church, we haven't always lived up to this. We haven't always loved our neighbor as ourselves and cared for the weak and cared for those that couldn't care for themselves. If we look through the history of the Christian church, there are stains on our Christian witness. I mean, we can talk about the Crusades. We can talk about all sorts of things in history where Christians have failed to protect the weak. And so then you might hear a humanist argument that says, well, let's just take religion out of it because people have done bad things in the name of God. So we can determine right and wrong and we can set a standard that everybody can agree with. But there's a problem with that. And you can see it play out in the world all the time. There's a problem with that because when you dis decide what's right and wrong based upon democracy or mob or what the, what the group agrees with, then you get mob rule. And slowly the strong start to exert over the weak. And slowly we forget about the widow. We forget about the needy and the poor. Thankfully, God's anchor keeps us with a better idea of what is morally upright and good. Because anything else will just slip and twist and become something that doesn't love our neighbor. But that leads us back to today's discussion. Justice and forgiveness. Can they coexist together? How do they coexist together? I mean, you can hear it argued today. If you read certain articles, you can hear people saying that forgiveness causes us to be soft on justice. Like, your forgiveness is letting evil continue. People are going to abuse the situation if you just keep on forgetting, forgiving them. Come on. Be real. Stop being so naive. Right? How do they coexist? And the truth is, is that the church has a stain on its witness in this part, too. You know, over the past couple of decades, it's come out that there's been a lot of abuse in the church. There have been leaders in the church that have sexually abused people in the pews. It's not something we're proud of, and it's not something that is well for our Christian witness. But the truth is, is that it happened. But what's even sadder is how we responded to this. Sometimes the person who was in leadership was just asked to step down for a little bit to get some therapy and then come back. Sometimes the person was just sent off to a different church. You hear about that all the time where uh, priests will be 
shuttled from one church to the other. Or sometimes we said to the victim, you just need to forgive them and get over it. But what we're failing to do in that is we're failing to protect the weak. We're failing to protect the victim by just telling them to gloss over that. And some people have walked away from the Christian faith because of this. If that's what it means to be a Christian, I can't do that. Isn't there consequences to that? Justice and forgiveness need to be held in tension. It's like driving a car down a road where the ditches are deep on each side. Because you can run into problems without them, coupled together. So if you have justice without forgiveness, you'll be driving down the road and you veer off into one of the ditches. And what happens? You get vengeance. It turns from just being justice to, I will make sure that they never hurt anyone else again. It turns into hatred. It can turn into mob rule. We see this with somebody saying something wrong on the internet, and the mob comes and destroys them and says, you can never be on the internet again. You're of no value anymore. Call it cancel culture. There's no mercy. People become irredeemable. They become vastly others so that we can't pay any attention to them anymore. We can't even mention certain people's names because we have justice without forgiveness. It's not what God is calling us to do. The other ditch that we can fall into, the other ditch that we can drive into is forgiveness without justice. Right? Oh, you know what? Boys will be boys. Uh, We'll just let them, they didn't mean to, we'll just forgive them and move on. But then evil can continue, and there's no protection for the weak. The more important thing is that people will never see the error of their ways. They're never allowed to grow and to become better people. We're not protecting those who need the protection the most. This also is not what we as Christians are called to do. But the blessing is is that we have a God that demonstrates how to do this, a God that can do both who can be both just and forgiving. God is inherently both just and forgiving. And there's two major points in Scripture that tell us that, that reveal that to us. If you remember the story of the Exodus, the Israelites were in slavery to the Pharaoh, to Egypt, and God sends Moses to free them. He says, Moses, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And what's his response? No, I won't let them go. And so God shows his justice. He sends the angel of death to kill every firstborn in the households, which is their source of future. It's it's their, their pride and their desire, the firstborn of every household is their hope for the future. But here's the interesting thing. The angel of death wasn't going for just the Egyptians would have taken out the Israelites too. And so God says, here's what you need to do. You need to take a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the door and then the angel of death will pass over your house. Jews still celebrate this today as Passover. There's both justice and forgiveness because God said, if I would judge you by my righteous standards, you would all fail 
Not just the Egyptians, but the Israelites would fail too. And so here's my forgiveness for you. Now we skip ahead to the New Testament and to the text we read today. And we see John the Baptist out baptizing in the wilderness, and Jesus comes on the scene, and what does he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If we didn't have the Exodus story, we wouldn't know what he meant by that. Behold, the Lamb of God is here. And Jesus preaches and teaches, and then on the last day of, on earth, on the last day before he dies, he takes them into the upper room and he says, this bread is now my body. As they're celebrating the Passover meal, he turns it and he says, this bread is my body given for you. And he says, this cup is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And then he dies on the cross. Now, why did he have to die on the cross? Could God not have just said, you know what, I know you're sinful, it's fine, I'm God, I can just wipe it away. But God is just. And there's sin, and there had to be a payment for that sin. There had to be something to pay for that sin. But God took care of it. He took care of it himself because he is just. He died for our sins. But then the forgiveness is offered. Because he has died for our sins, we are free to trust in his promise. So in the cross, we see both the justice and the forgiveness. There's forgiveness, but there's consequences. So what do we do here on earth? How do we live our lives knowing that? knowing what God has done. Well, we have to seek justice in our world. We have to establish a system that cares for the poor, for the weak, that does exactly what Scripture says, to help love our neighbor. We want to do that in our own lives. We want to live in a place that does that in its laws. We want to help protect those that cannot protect themselves. We don't want to rule by mob rule. We don't want the poor to be left behind, and the rich to have their own ways. And we want them to be reconciled back. We want for people not to be just excluded as other when they fail, but for them to see the error of their ways, to repent, and to be reconciled to the community. This is what God is calling us to do, justice and forgiveness. Now, this week has been a tough week here in Fargo. Um, I watched a little bit of the funeral for our fallen officer, Jake Waleen, and we witnessed something in Fargo that I don't think anybody growing up here would have thought ever would have come to Fargo. We came very close to a mass shooting here in town. And thanks to the bravery of the police department, it was averted. Now, it might be easy to vilify the person that did that, to think, how could someone stoop that low? He got what he deserved. It could be easy to think about him as someone that's irredeemable, some other, someone that, that does not deserve forgiveness. But the truth is that that same evil that acted out lives in our own hearts every day. And if we search deep enough, we can find that evil and circumstances 
And things that we do will isolate us for that, but that evil still exists deep down within our own hearts. So when we see the cross, we are reminded how much we need our Savior. We are reminded how much we need God, how much of a sinner we are, and how sweet and how beautiful that forgiveness is. There's justice and forgiveness. Let's not forget that evil. Now, someday Christ will return, and there will be no more death, and no more evil, and no more sin. But until that time, we have to live here in this place. We have to live as Christians, loving our neighbor, relishing the forgiveness we have, and waiting for that day, waiting for that, trusting in those promises. Because the Lamb of God has come. He's died for our sins. He's paid the penalty. And he has given us new life and forgiveness. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you for the cross. For in the cross, we see that you are a just God. One that will take care of evil. One that will restore civilization. One that will restore the world so it is a good and upright place. And Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for what you have done so that we can take part in that. Lord, we pray that all will be reconciled to you. All will re recognize their sinful nature and all will recognize the beauty of your forgiveness and love. Thank you, Lord, for these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.